Okay, uh, now uh, let's look at uh, something that I probably missed because I think this is important. Uh, when we look at the age of Caxton, right, and we're talking about the idea of marriage, we talked about the priest, we talked about the nuns, right, and we talked about how essential marriage was for many people, right. Uh, sorry, I have to put on some more lights because. Yeah. So, uh, when we're talking about the idea of marriage, right? Uh, you have a lot of love uh, or romance which is around from the chivalric point of view, right? And a lot of the poets come in and they give you a different kind of an idea about life. And life is all not about property and marriage and position, right? And uh, you have, of course in India you still have all these problems and uh, in India if people marry for love then it's looked at as if it's an aberration, right? Okay, and the idea is uh, just a commercial marriage, a loveless marriage uh, and all these kind of things. Uh, people don't really care about marriage, right? Uh, and, uh, and the idea of the human being at all, right? And that's really a very sad thing. I'm not saying that is generally, uh, it's not absolutely true about everything in India, right? But the idea of a person and the idea of choice in marriage, the individual choice, not the parent's choice, right? Yeah. Uh, that's something that happens in a very early time in the, uh, in, uh, uh, the, uh, the English world, right? Yeah. So the whole idea of uh, going against uh, the parents doesn't arise if people uh, convince the parents that look, this is what I want to do, right? Yeah, and of course, uh, with all our knowledge from about marriage from the 13th, 14th, 15th centuries of England till today, right? The question is, there are no guarantees, right? You can have an arranged marriage which fails, right? And you can have uh, a love marriage which also fails, right? And that's why today nobody in the UK and in many parts of Europe and the United States actually uh, want to have this thing called marriage, right? Uh, and this is not something that's new. Uh, when I was a student of German, that's maybe about 30 years ago, right? Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, when I was uh, a young person, right, like uh, many of you, right, we had a, a German magazine which we were encouraged to read German magazines in the lunch break and the other breaks that we had, right. Uh, so uh, we, uh, that's in Max Miller Babur Pune, right. So one of the, one of the things that we had over there is we had this thing called uh, Scala, one of the magazines, right. And here you are, you had a problem with this thing called A owner Throshine, right? Throshine is certificate. Yeah, A is marriage, right? Yeah, and owner is without, right? So you have marriage without a certificate, or what we call livings, right? Yeah. Now the common law wife and the common law husband today in England are permitted, right? And actually, it's important to talk about this because of when you read major uh, no, uh, much ado about nothing, right? You get all these issues about marriage and the idea of a pledge, 
right? Two people are in love with each other, they make a pledge, right? And then the question of the church comes in, right? And uh, uh, the church normally asks you for two witnesses for a marriage, right? The priest and two witnesses, that's the basic that is asked for, right? Yeah? And of course, uh, the idea of registration of marriages and all is already done sometime long ago, right? Because you have the marriage register and every uh, person who gets married has to register themselves, right? Because you have something called the bands. I don't know when that happens or when that comes into the church. The bands are these announcements that people are going to get married, right? And that's supposed to be before the marriage, right? You have marriage bands, right? For the first time, second time, third time, if I'm not wrong, right? Yeah? So when you have the marriage bands read, that's in public, right? That's in the church. The priest is supposed to announce that two people are getting married, right? And if you find that there's any problem between them, right? Yeah? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not really talking history. I'm, I'm talking about Shakespeare and Shakespeare sonnets. And, uh, sonnet 116, right? Where Shakespeare says, let me not to the marriage of two minds admit impediments, right? Now that's a word that you get in the church, right? So, so it's a kind of a legal word, right? But it's also a religious word because uh, the statement is, if anybody knows of any impediments, why these people should not be joined in holy matrimony, you're bound to tell the parish priest as early as possible, right? Yeah. Now, if you know that somebody, and that's, of course, we're talking about a very, uh, today we look down on the term because we are post-globalized, right? But we're talking about a parochial kind of understanding, right? Yeah, if you know something about somebody, yeah, you have to bring it to the parish priest, right? And that's how the church works, right? So we're talking about the, not the state, but the church has its own kind of network, right? And from one parish to the other, uh, I don't know how they managed it in uh, past times, but I was not there. I mean, I, I know that uh, in, in my childhood, they also used to manage all these things, right? Yeah, that is, they would send a letter. Okay, we had, it's not an internet world, but you have a letter, right? So you have to, the, the people have to go and tell their own parish, priest that they're going to get married, get uh, the bands read in their parish and in the uh, parish of the bride, right? Yes, so they actually have to do that and this is before the marriage, right? And after all the bands are read and uh, then you are permitted to get married, right? Yeah, so because of course there is something called monogamy, right? So if a person has another wife and somebody knows that they, yeah, we are talking about the days before we have uh, internet, the days before we have telephones, the days before we have newspapers, right? So uh, this is a system that is going on from then and that's a very interesting kind of system that has been generated, right? So the question is, how do you find out about a person, right? Uh, I remember when I was a school student in a Marathi class, we had this uh, very interesting lesson. Uh, which was our teacher told us it was a true story and he as a child had read it in the Marathi papers, right? And it's about a man who goes to different people and gets married to a number of people, right? Yeah. 
and of course for dowry, right? So that's one of the things he does. And this is what happened uh, in not very long ago, maybe 40 years or 50 years ago at most, right? Yeah. And, uh, and that was our lesson, right? And uh, the lesson was about how this man is caught, right? So somebody dis uh, gets dressed as a bride-to-be, right? And this man goes over to that place, right? And that's when the police come in and catch him, right? And this is a true story from Maharashtra, right? So this is what happens, right? So how do you track on somebody who's got perhaps got married in one place and not got married? Of course, it's some kind of primitive surveillance, right? Today we have internet, yeah? We have all the data available, right? And in spite of that, you have people who uh, get married to a number of people without people knowing about it, right? Yeah, so that's something that you have in bigger countries like India, in the United States, right? So when you have crooks about all these, that's one of the things that you do, right? But we are talking about a time when, uh, and you have that in uh, Hardy's Jude the Obscure, right? Where Tess and Jude actually do this, right? And this is interesting because the industrial revolution is on, right? They move from one place to the other place and they have many children, right? And nobody knows that they're not married, right? Today, that's not an issue at all, right? And this is within about a hundred years, right? Yeah? So Tess and Jude actually feel very guilty about what they've done, especially after you have the suicide of the children, right? Yeah? So that's something that is important to think about and the idea of why does the church have all these kind of uh, surveillance techniques, right? Because they have a law which says you're not supposed to have, uh, you can't get married to another wife and a wife is living, right? Yeah, or a husband is living, right? So that's exactly where your wife or becomes so important, right? And she's had all these uh, marriages which are because of the death of the husband, etc. Right? Yeah. So that's a different story. But uh, even that, some people might have broke, right? Because what happens if somebody has killed their husband and is trying, or they kill their wife and is trying to get married, right? So that is something that, uh, as a confessional statement, you go and inform the parish priest, right? I think we should look at the network and the, the, the idea of the communal or the community network that the church has, right? Yeah. So if somebody informs the parish priest, the parish priest writes a letter. I don't know how they would transmit letters in those days, right? But the question is, this is a small country, right? Yeah. And uh, what happens? And that's why when you have the idea of the first meeting, that becomes so important, right? Yeah. So, uh, uh, what is interesting and what is important is people knew everybody, right? And normally you got married within your community, within your parish. You don't go out very far, right? Yeah. And when that happens, actually that shakes up society very much. Uh, and you find that happening. Of course, modernity has already happened with the printing machine, right? Yeah. So when you have Gutenberg's press and the press comes in, that's when modern technology, modern capitalism is already in its primitive form, if you like uh, the word primitive. I don't know whether that's a good word to use, 
right? Because we don't like to use words like primitive anymore because that's derogatory for the community that we're talking about, right? But we're talking about primitive capitalism, that is, cap or rudimentary capitalism, I think that might be a better word, or rudimentary uh, uh, modernism, which is modernism is just taking place, right? So the idea of love becomes an important uh, uh, kind of value over here, right? Uh, I think one is that the church is talking about love, right? And the idea is uh, there are two cultures. One is the Greek culture, right? Where you talk about uh, Cupid, and Cupid is the god of love, right? And then you have Christianity, which also talks about love, right? So you have two cultures, and that's a context for literature because the clash is actually a clash of more than two cultures. It's four cultures that are clashing. That is the Roman culture and the Greco-Roman, or what we call the Greco-Roman culture, right? So they've already integrated themselves and they've somehow become uh, a kind of a shared culture, right? Yeah. So that's one culture that we are uh, looking at, and with that you have uh, the uh, the Christian and the Judeo-Christian culture. That is the culture of the Jews and the culture of Christians, right? Which is somewhat somewhat amalgamated, right? Okay. Of course, they have their differences with the Jews. And that becomes a problem, and we already talked about how they've already banished the Jews, and uh, that's why perhaps, uh, according to Trevelyan and according to the argument that he has here, that's why England was a little less uh, anti-Semitic, uh, right? Yeah. So that is something that we need to think about because it might not be so. We have Shakespeare uh, writing uh, *Merchant of Venice*, right? Marlowe writing the Jew of Malta, right? And why did they write that if the Jews were as comfortable as they are, right? But anyhow, for my purposes today, just now, right, we're talking about the Greco-Roman culture and the Judeo-Christian culture, and that's about four cultures that we're talking about, and they are interacting with each other, right? And in the process of these four cultures interacting with each other, right? You have a rich context for literature, right? I must take you to something very modern and something that's in India, and this is something that I watched. I hope somebody is able to uh, get this interview because uh, they were interviewing Girish Karnad, and as you know, he's no more. And this is many years ago, right? Maybe about 20 years ago or somewhere there, right? And he gets the Jan Peter Award and all those kind of things. And then they ask him about his craft of writing, right? And he says, well, it's very interesting because when you talk about Karnataka, right, you have a portion of Mysore state, you have a portion of, uh, and this is in the British Times, right? Uh, Mysore state, Bombay state, right? Uh, you also have Madras and a portion of, maybe a portion of Kerala or Andhra, right? Yeah, so you have many cultures coming there together, right? Yeah, yeah, so that's something that's important and that's what he talks about as his context for being a literature person, right? Because you have different languages and different cultures coming together, right? So when we talk about the context of English literature and why are we studying all the social history of, Eng uh, of England, right? We're talking about these cultures coming together, right? These cultures interacting with each other 
right? Not, they might not be pure, fully amalgamated, right? Yeah, because you actually recognize that there are two cultures, yeah? Like for instance, when you talk about the Santa Claus and all, that's fairly recent, right? But it's come from a person called Nikolaus, right? Yeah, who's not dressed in a red, uh, uh, red uh, cloak or anything of the sort. But this is something that happens all over Europe, right? And this person wears a brown habit and comes with a sack of nice things for children, right? Yeah, and that's of course done uh, in a community, right? So you have this, and that's become Santa Claus today, right? Or you have the mistletoe and kissing on the mistletoe uh, for Christmas, right? Yeah, so that's something that is pre-Christian and something that belongs to the European culture. Right? So the mistletoe, the Christmas tree, all these things have actually nothing to do with Christianity. Right? Yeah, and that's why a lot of people now when you study uh, more of uh, the, uh, the restoration, etc. Right? Many people get up all these kinds of issues. Right? Like for instance, in the United States, oh, many people think that Christmas is about Christmas trees and giving gifts. Right? So that's a very super, and of course, this is what you call a globalized Christmas, right? Yeah, and you, nobody can say that Christmas is our feast anymore, right? Yeah, so that's exactly what has changed, right? But uh, in Europe and in England, Christmas was a feast of all the people there, except for the Jews, right? And I don't know if they talk, thought about the Jews enough, right? Yeah, because... Uh, we have all these issues which when we talk about Hegel's uh, what is it, uh, uh, Kant's what is the enlightenment, right? Yeah, and after 200 years Foucault is writing what is the enlightenment, right? And Foucault is asking questions about what happened to the Jews? Why did Kant talk about the Jews, right? Yeah, so uh, when we're talking about that and how much does the Jewish, okay, all these people uh, a lot of Jewish people contributed as intellectuals to their enlightenment, right? How can you forget that, right? Can you forget them, right? Like for instance, can you try to throw the Muslims out of modernism, right? Yeah, which we can't do because they are the people who gave us algebra and geometry. They got it from the Greeks, they got it preserved in Arabic, right? And they are the ones who actually uh, contributed to the idea of modern mathematics and building up a modern world, okay, all the technology is there, right? Of course, the idea is that uh, Islamophobia has spread so much in Europe and the rest of the world that people want to get rid of the Muslims and get rid of everything. The Spanish did that, right? Yeah, uh, they ruled, they had an empire which ruled for 800 years, right? And uh, you don't have you, you get a blank over there when you're talking about all the monarchs of Spain, right? Yeah, and they actually did something that may, I hope doesn't happen in India, right? Yeah, it's we destroyed the Babri Masjid, which is, uh, I don't care about religion at all, but the question is, that's of historical value, right? And that's what they did in Spain. They tried to eliminate Islam and the heritage of Islam, except there are few mosques in Cordoba, right? Uh, and when you study your critical theory, you study about Ibn Rushd 
and uh, you study about Ibn Sina, Ibn Rushd and all these kind of people, right, who were intellectuals and who've contributed a lot in intellectual thought, right, yeah, so that's something that uh, Europe might like to throw away and say that it's not important, right, but that's something that's very important because all these people read Ibn Rushd and his kind of uh, interpretation of Aristotle, right, or the new Aristotle is something that happens uh, when uh, you have Shakespeare coming up, right? So uh, that's something else that we need to think about, right? And what happens to the Islamic culture and how do these people manage to suppress it, right? Yeah, and we have, uh, at the time that we're talking about, you know about the night in, uh, in Chaucer, right? Yeah, the knight. The knight is the person who's gone and fought in the holy wars, right? He knows the world, right? He's actually fought and come back, right? And what happens is an old soldier becomes very humble, right? So that's why Chaucer has all this kind of high praise for uh, the knight in uh, the Canterbury Tales, right? So when we're talking about that, and we understand that, look, when we're talking about the knight, right? Uh, it's great to be a knight, right? And it's, go it's great to fight for your religion uh, and you fight for the land. They're trying to fight for Jerusalem and they're still fighting with Jerusalem. We know about that, right? We know how horrible the Israelis are and how they're murdering and putting to death the Palestinians, right? And that's because of what happened to the Jews in the 20th century, right? And uh, the kind of Zionism, which is actually at the base of it all, right? And these people trying to capture this place called Israel and get it there because it's supposed to be in the Bible and none of the people are actually the inhabitants of the land, right? Yeah. So the local Jews, the local Muslims and the local Christians, right, have an onslaught by European decree and that's what's happening today, right? Yeah. So we can see what's happening today, right? But how these people dealt with all this when... Europe, uh, when Christianity and Islam, okay, Judaism, of course, you couldn't convert anybody to Judaism, right? You just couldn't, right? And even if you marry uh, somebody, right, you don't become a Jew, right? Yeah, you can't become a Jew like that, right? But the children may be, uh, in some cases, kept, right? Yeah, and that's, again, a big issue because when we talk about uh, Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, we have this idea of Jessica getting married to uh, Lorenzo, right, yeah, and leaving Shylock and robbing Shylock of his wealth and taking it up with her, right, yeah, and all that kind of uh, stuff, which is very sad and terrible, right, because she converts into the majority community, right, yeah, and she marries uh, Lorenzo. Uh, in the Christian tradition when the Jews are in the minority, right? So we have the same condition here today in India and the Jews are still facing, the Jews actually are the majority community in Israel and they're torturing uh, the Palestinians and the Palestinians are not only Muslims, the Jews, the Muslims and Christians, right? Yeah, who have been there for all their lives and all the centuries around, right? And they've not moved out, right? So when you talk about Israel, they're all the settlers who have come from other places and they bought a lot of tracts of land, right, for uh, whatever, cheap fee or not cheap fee, I don't know, right, what that is, right. But they planned 
to have the state of Israel for a long time and they've used a lot of European money and European power and American power to see that they have the state of Israel, right? So you can look at all that and why do we talk about this? Because this is going back to the Holy War, right? Yeah, and we're talking about, today we talk about jihad, right? And perhaps wrongly, right? But we're actually talking about the Holy War where you're actually fighting the Jews, the Muslims and the Christians are actually fighting, right? And this is an important context because how do we understand Quentin Durward? How do we understand Ivanhoe, right? How do we understand all these texts, right? Uh, Walter Scott's texts, but important texts to read as students of literature, right? If we don't understand all these things, right? And of course, Walter Scott respects the Muslims highly, right? Yeah? The idea is that they're better people than the Christians. That's what you get. Yeah, you can look at that, right? And so you have the Jew, the Muslim, and the Christian in some of the novels, right? Yeah, so that's something that hasn't been forgotten, right? And that's something that's still going on, right? Okay, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, to go back and talk about this. So this is where we are talking about all these cultures coming together, right? Now, Spain has tried to erase everything about the Muslim background, right? But they can't get rid of the word Al, right? Because you have algebra, right? Yeah, and all those kind of things, right? Which is from Arabic, yeah? So the Arabic culture, uh, and of course you can't get rid of uh, people of Arabic origin or Spanish and Arabic origin, which who are still around in, in Spain today, right? And of course, what was important at that point of time, uh, this is a little before this age that we're talking about, yeah? Uh, the, uh, the 11th, 12th century, right? Uh, we have a huge Moorish empire and all the young people actually from the whole of Europe actually going to uh, Salamanca to study Islam, right? So Islam becomes a very, very prominent kind of religion, right? Or a, at least a different kind of religion and people are bored with whatever religion you have. So this new and different kind of religion is something that they're attracted towards, right? And they actually go and study it, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, some people say, well, they were studying it like people go and study computer science, right? Because that's something new and different, right? Of course, now it's not new and different. Uh, 30 years ago, it was, right? Yeah. So that's uh, when uh, you have a different kind of openness and an understanding because Christianity has not become so hard and rigid, right? At one period of time, and that's exactly what... Uh, yes, in some ways it has, and some ways it hasn't, right? When we're talking about social histories, we're talking about history, we can't talk about real watertight hard compartments, right? So you can't really talk about Christianity being the hardened kind of orthodoxy that you have, right? And we read yesterday that the bishops couldn't enforce laws in the convents, right? Now we are talking about that stage and we are talking about today, right, where things are much more systematic, much more organized, right? And uh, many people or church historians would say that in the 16th century, uh, a lot of this organization of the orders of the different orders were actually systematized, right? Yeah, so that's something that has taken place. And over a period of time, Christianity has become more systematic and more organized, etc. Right? So when we talk about 
why are we talking about all this? Because we actually have to talk about the whole idea of the man-woman relationship, right? Yeah, and that's something that comes in with English poets, for one, right? Uh, we talked about the church being part of the anarchic movement of revolution, right? Yeah, and when we're talking about the church, they're actually talking about a different kind of a world, right? They're not supporting the state, right? They're talking about human values and other kinds of things, which uh, today maybe they've forgotten, right? Or some of them might still remember, right? But of course today the idea is that by and large the church all over the world, okay, or most church communities have been enveloped by this thing called capitalism, right? Yeah, so that's uh, one of the things that has not really happened over here because this is primitive capitalism, right? So they've not really got uh, taken off by capitalism. The church culture is there. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the idea of the poor people have to be still looked after. That's written in the Bible and that's happened has to be done and that's what Islam also is doing, right? Yeah, Islam is talking about uh, a certain percentage of your salary going for the poor people, right? Yeah, so that's uh, something that's very important, yeah? And when you look at these Middle Eastern religions, the idea of the poor become important, right? Yeah, so you can look at that and you can look at Indian culture and what is the position of the poor, right? Yeah, so I don't know about religion really, but uh, culture, the idea of poverty, right? How do you look after poor people, right? So that becomes a big issue because uh, again and again you have that in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? So one is poverty, right? The other is this idea of love, which comes from uh, Greek and Ro Greek or Roman sources, right? And uh, the myths of love, the myths of the gods and goddesses of love, right? Uh, all those things are still there, right? And you also have the poets writing about love and the idea of the troubadours and uh, all these kinds of French uh, kind of movements which happen, right? So you have, at one level, you have the serenade. I don't know when the serenade actually begins, right? The serenading is a part of Spanish culture, right? Where a person goes with guitars and sings songs outside the room, uh, outside the house of people the woman they want to get married to, etc. Right? Of course, the downside of it is something called machismo, right? Which is this whole idea of male chauvinism, and you try to uh, what today we call masculinities, right? Yep. So that's something else that perhaps is a downside, but the upside of it all is something more interesting because uh, the idea of the man-woman relationship is important, right? Yeah, and I I think that's in all literatures, everywhere in the world, right? And in all cultures, actually, the whole idea of how does a man get on with a woman, right? Of course, it becomes a very important part of Indian literature, uh, of English literature, right? We're talking about the idea of equality, right? The idea of difference, right? So these are things that literature is doing, and that's from a long period of time, right? That the man uh, needs a woman, and the idea of love, right? Yeah, maybe that's still patriarchal, right? Yeah, and today we might have a problem with this, with the patriarchal nature of it all, because something that the Middle Ages gives us is the idea of chivalry, and no feminist at all likes the idea of chivalry, because uh, as we said before, the woman would be locked in a castle, the woman would be would have to wear 
a chastity belt, the woman have to, would have to prove that she's been true and faithful to this man who has pledged himself to her and is just wandering off. Right now, he might have a number of affairs, he might have all those kind of things, he might sleep around with a number of women, all those kind of things are okay, right? Yeah, but that kind of culture, right? Which is problematic, right? Because if you're talking about a feminist world and we're talking about a post-feminist kind of reality, that is, uh, it's about equality, right? Yeah, it's about equality of status, equality of job, equality of a lot of uh, degendering of jobs, right? Yeah, or making jobs gender neutral, right? Uh, making housework gender neutral, right? And the question of capital and who earns capital, uh, how much of money do you earn, right? So that's again some kind of equality which we're talking about, right? So. That's something else that we are dealing with, right? So when we are talking about the idea of uh, the the Middle Ages, right, and we are talking about the man-woman relationship, right, uh, you have this idea of human love, right, and that's something that becomes elevated to the idea of spirituality, right. So that's how the Greco-Roman culture and the Judeo-Christian culture come together, right? The idea of the love between a man and a woman, right, and that's something. That's still very precious, right? Yeah, though Christianity might have, uh, uh, might be on its last legs or it's already out in Europe, right? Uh, I don't know if people practice, uh, are practicing Christians, right? Most of them are not, right? Uh, and as the joke goes, uh, they're, they're taken uh, twice, they're taken to the church, right? For the for the funeral and for their baptism, right? And uh, they go only once on their own to the church when they're getting married, right? So that's, of course, uh, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I don't know what the real situation is, right? But uh, that kind of attendance is not really what is called for. But you have uh, some people who believe that though Christianity has died as a living kind of religion or living practice, Right? The ideas of Christianity in a secular or atheistic world have not died out. Right, So that's the understanding which we get also from here when we're talking about the age of Caxton and we're talking about the Middle Ages. Right, The ideas of human love being beautiful, right? Yeah, which I don't know if uh, anybody cares for in India. Of course the poets do, right? Uh, yeah, so of course. Uh, the problem in Europe is the idea of the gays and the lesbians, which they have a long tradition for, right? The Greeks uh, had these things of lesbianism and homosexuality was almost an institution, right? And uh, the idea of homosexual love was supposed to be higher than heterosexual love, right? And of course, for the Greeks, uh, for the Jews and the Christians, homosexuality was an aberration, right? Yeah, and that's from... Uh, you get that in the Bible and it's called sodomy and all those kind of things, right? Yeah, so anybody indulging in all those uh, practices was fine, right? And sometimes excluded from society, right? Of course, the church wanted to make money, so they should, they, and the idea of the homosexual as a human being, right, was not even thought about. Yeah, that happens, or well, the word homosexual happens only as late as 1888, right? Yeah, so 1888 or somewhere there, 
uh, right at the end of the 19th century, right? And that, if you want to look for, you can look for in the cultural biography of uh, Walt Whitman, right? Uh, that's very interesting kind of biography of Walt Whitman, which is actually talking about how Walt Whitman uh, actually sodomizes a boy and uh, yeah, so all that kind of thing is not only about his calamus poems, but he teaches in a school and he sodomizes a boy and this, the school becomes uh, is named as Sodom Grove, right? Yeah, so that's what they do and they, they actually treat Whitman in the way that a homosexual in the United States would be treated, right? That's plastered, tarred and feathered, right? You put plaster, you put tar on them, black tar, and you put feathers on them, right? The, yeah, and you parade them around the street, which I don't think they, they would do anymore because that's almost amounting to lynching, right? So it's almost like a lynch mob going and killing a black person, right? Yeah, uh, that's uh, oh, uh, Muslim in India, right? So you have all those kind of things which perhaps polite society would not allow, right? Or the ideas of justice would not allow today, right? And you have the gay movement, etc., right? But by and large, you have uh, the homosexuals and the lesbians who are there right from the time of Sappho, right? Sappho lives on the island of Lesbos, right? So what doesn't integrate is the idea of homosexuality, right? And uh, it's only in the 20th century that that's coming up in a big way, right? Now, how did the church deal with it? Yeah, I read something uh, 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 in the papers not very long ago by a professor of religion, maybe, right? Yeah, and in, in the Indian Express. So he was talking about the idea of Christ uh, and this, this uh, man who comes for his servant, right? Yeah, and uh, he's actually analyzing the text and he says that Christ didn't discriminate against homosexuals, right? And why should the Christians do that, right? So all those kind of issues, of course, are here today, but when we're talking about the culture, right, it's from a long period of time, right? Uh, like uh, when we were studying Chaucer, uh, the Samna and the Padna are supposed to be homosexuals, and our teacher who, who uh, uh, were very condemning about the homosexuals at that point in time, right? That's about 30 years ago, uh, right? So then he said, well, some and the partner are homosexuals. Uh, Chaucer has his way of dealing with them, right? Yeah. So uh, how do we look at them today? Because the world and the attitude of the world has changed towards homosexuals and uh, whether the gay or lesbian transsexuals. So all those kind of things are different, yeah? And if you're interested, you can read uh, uh, a neo-historicist called Stephen Greenblatt, right? And this one lecture, and it's talking about transsexualism, right? In the Middle Ages, right? Uh, he's talking about a person whose gender is not defined physically, right? The sex is not defined physically, right? And the person goes as a woman, and actually probably a man, right? And all those kind of things. And they have, uh, they actually have a medical examination to find out if this person is a man or a woman, right? Yeah. So you can, uh, yeah. So it's called fiction and fiction, right? That's and Stephen Greenblatt. If you can find it, you can find it. I got it somewhere. I Xeroxed it, and uh, that's important, right? So it's not that these are issues that were not confronted, 
right so they got a church person they got a doctor to examine this person and that's very interesting and very important right so when we're talking about social histories what happens uh, so the idea of male love and female love and that becomes the norm right so if you are again a lesbian uh, you're probably just out right you'd be either killed like that with the second right yeah and the typical thing that was done to homosexual little before this age that we are talking about yeah it's uh, this is a king right just imagine he's a king of britain uh, of england right and they put him to death because he's homosexual and they do it in a very very cruel manner that is they heat a iron rod and they shove it up his anus so that he he just dies with that kind of pain and burning of the anus right yeah so that's as cruel as it was right uh so when we're talking about this age at one level we're talking about the man woman relationship at the other level we're talking about what happens to homosexuality which perhaps this book doesn't take up because uh these are issues that at that point of time were probably looked at as different right they're not looked at as we look at it today right uh i remember when i i went for a play called uh the glass menagerie right by Tennessee Williams right uh yeah and yeah because it was it was put up my mother let me go i was in school right and then after that when i became a student of english literature right i said well if my mother knew that tennessee williams was a homosexual she might have not uh, allowed me to go for the play right yeah of course there's nothing uh, that we know in the play but if you go and watch the play unless you know about tennessee williams uh you may not be uh able to say that he's homosexual right yeah uh that perhaps doesn't come out except uh, you might find a lot of symbolic uh representations of homosexuality right so and of course that's after i watched the play at in my i must have watched the play in 72 or 73 and in 76 donald sporto uh comes out with this biography of uh this man called tennessee williams and then he's talking about his homosexuality etc right yeah and he's uh, actually citing a lot of actual incidents uh and how they relate to the play that's a literary biography like whitman is a cultural biography this is a literary biography right yeah i'm sorry that i've taken you to a lot of other things but it's not it's not important it's not not important yeah because we're actually going into uh, a lot of very serious issues which will come up later in your study of literature right so the the one of the most important questions that keeps arising again and again and people have not stopped talking about it is the man woman relationship in characters right yeah so the whole idea of this is a theme from medieval england also right yeah so we're talking about how does the man relate to the woman right and the idea of marriage and the uh, the whole idea of marriage being something very sacred right and the love between a man and a woman being something that is very sacred which is still practiced around in all european communities right yeah of course you are agree that look people get together they get married they fall out of love with each other right that's something that's also accepted right but the idea that you're committed to a man or a woman and you have that commitment all your life whether this church or no church or god or no god that's a kind of understanding that's happened today right so that's 
when uh, a notion of Christ of course I have argued that this is something that uh, the whole idea of chastity virginity these are all what Foucault is talking about in his history of sexuality when he's talking about uh, the idea of virginity which is a Christian kind of uh, important kind of a Christian value at this point of time in the uh, colonial in the medieval ages in Europe and in uh, England right you also have this thing about uh, 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 Foucault is talking about the ancient Greeks right and he's talking about how a boy had to preserve his virginity because you have all the men who are homosexuals or the bisexuals actually right because they don't all of them have wives and their children right but they believe that uh, uh, this homosexual love it's not about physical love okay uh, maybe they had some physical love and that's what Foucault is talking about in his history of sexuality right but uh, by and large the, the, the idea of platonic love is the idea of homosexual love right it's not a love for a woman because that's for progeny that's what the Greeks think right now that's the difference between the thick part of the Greeks and this idea of uh, uh, the the, uh, the, uh, the European idea of commitment and love because that's what Christianity is talking about right it's not about yeah so you can see how the, the, the cultures differ and that's why you have a context for literature that's why you have a context of a rich and diverse kind of culture which different kinds of strengths right yeah of course in India today we're talking about a culture which is one culture or one India right it's like globalization in one world right which is not exactly what it's supposed to be because all cultures are different right and all cultures come with their own prejudices their biases and their strengths right and uh, you find that this has taken a long time right for European culture to come together at one of course uh, Russell and all these people argue that it's come with the church right yeah and maybe it is maybe it's not but the, the question is you can also see the Greek or Roman strands right homosexuality was almost there in Greece and in Rome right when you talk about orb as uh, uh, what's this guy's name uh, yeah sorry philosophy will you run right yeah uh, will you run his wife right they write this 13 volume history of uh, civilization right yeah and uh, Bill Durant is actually saying well uh, uh, Julius Caesar was a wife to every uh, sorry was a husband to every woman and a wife to every man right so that's how he describes Julius Caesar right yeah so uh, so that that's the bisexual kind of thing is all around the place right so that's pre-christian right and after that you have the Christian and the Jewish ideas of course the Jewish people would not tolerate homosexuality of course my reason for it is because they're a slave society right yeah and in slave communities uh, procreation is important right so homosexuality and of course this is a sociological and an anthropological kind of reading right but the idea is that in a slave society uh, you have to procreate right because your society your community has to survive right you already put under extreme physical strain and psychological strain because you're a slave right yeah and that's where the Jewish community and the Bible is talking about freedom at one level right 
Yeah, and at the other level, you have this idea of uh, uh, this homosexuality, etc., which is already stopped by the Jews. And even masturbation is an issue that you have uh, about 2,000 years ago, the Jews are against this kind of a practice, right? So that becomes a subject of guilt. That becomes, okay, so that's the, when we are talking about a social history, we have to understand, and uh, Trevelyan is not going to do that. He's talking about things, and he's taking a lot of things for granted, yeah, which we as non-Europeans and non-English cannot take for granted, right? So we have to talk about them because these are other things that are going into making of this kind of culture and uh, this kind of social history, right? So you have to think about all the strands that are coming in, right? From the Greeks, from the Romans, right? And we know that the Romans were already there, so that's one thing. And we have the local religions which we don't know very much about. It's only now that archaeologists, uh, not only now, they have some local legends like the legend of Bran. You have also the legend of King Arthur, right? And uh, you have, in the story of King Arthur, you have the the wizards and the druids and all those kind of people, right? They're actually moving on from that kind of uh, uh, civilization to this idea of uh, uh, Roman-centered uh, Christian kind of civilization, right? So that is a very complex kind of history and that's why we have to study history. Whether we talk about Indian history or European history, right? Uh, when we study history and if we really study history, we become very humble, right? Because we know that we are not what we think we are, right? We are not the great people that we think we are, right? The, the, the history of all of us will be a lot of question marks which we can't answer, right? Like for instance, uh, one of my friends asked somebody, right? Uh, and that's in front of me. He says, when was the first Brahmin there in Kerala, right? Because the whole idea of the Brahmin is something that comes from the north. Right? Yeah? So when, do, when does it happen? Right? Or when do Brahmins come to Kerala? Right? Or when, yeah? So you can't say that they're always there. Right? So that's a very important kind of historical question. And as students of literature, we keep asking all these questions. Right? Yeah? So when we're talking about Chaucer, we're also talking about uh, what's happening in Palestine today and we need to know about it. Right? Because we're talking about this age which is actually talking about the holy war. People from England, people from France, people from all over Europe go and fight in Jerusalem in what is what was Palestine, right? Yeah, and they're fighting the Muslims. The Jews and the Christians come together to fight the Muslims, right? That's the holy war, right? And you can see the tensions between all of them. If you like, you can read Alfred W. Cosby, uh, who talks about ecological imperialism, right? So he says, well, the Europeans and the Palestinians, they were Christian Palestinians and still are Christian Palestinians, right? Yeah. Uh, they had a problem because they might have belonged to the same religion, but the Palestinians are people who have lived together in huge communities, very close together, right? Like in India, right? Yeah. You, you find that is a problem because when you go to Europe, you'll find hardly any people, right? When you go to an Indian station, even now, you'll find hundreds of people crowding onto the station, right? Yeah? But, uh, of course, not in the lockdown, right? But otherwise, and if you go to a European station, 
right? Some of the stations, you don't have one single human being, right? And that's quite scary, right? Just no human beings, right? So you get all these kinds of uh, different kinds of realities. So Cosby's argument is that though the Europeans were Christians and the Palestinians were Christians, right? Uh, and the Palestinians were probably Christians longer than the Europeans, right? Like the people in Tamil Nadu and Kerala are Christians longer than any Europeans around because Christianity first came here and uh, had, uh, yeah, so, so that's something else that we have to think about, right? And when you think about the idea of the European Christianity and Europe, Christ, uh, it's a kind of Christian world, yeah, and that's of course over a period of maybe a thousand years, right? So we're talking about uh, this is when England is already Christian, right? They've already been Christian for maybe about 300, 400 years, right? That's when we're talking about it, right? Yeah, and or maybe a little more than that, right? Because when we talk about the Irish, the Irish say that they've been under the British for 800 years, right? And they have some rebel songs which are talking about, well, we've lived with you and we fought you for 800 years and we're willing to fight you for 800 years more, right? Yeah, just like you have in Palestine or just like you have in Kashmir, right? So you'll get people who are actually willing to fight for a longer time. And of course it's going to mean that their people are going to be depleted in war, right? Yeah, uh, so you can look at all the Irish history and uh, I hope Kashmir doesn't become an, another island or another Palestine because the Palestinians are being killed every day, right? And just like the Irish, they're killed every day, right? And they're still fighting, and they're going to fight on, right? Yeah, so that's uh, when you talk about uh, these other things that perhaps Trevelyan doesn't mention, right? So we talk about the Judeo-Christian kind of culture. We talk about the Greco-Roman culture, right? And we know that the Romans conquered the Greeks, but uh, the Romans realized that the Greeks are superior to them as far as intellect, etc., right? So the slaves are actually teaching the masters, and they have got a nice Latin expression which says, by conquering the Greeks, the Romans became slaves to the Greeks, right? Not politically, but culturally and intellectually, uh, they became slaves to the Greeks, right? In fact, the Greeks systematized the Roman language, and that's how you get Latin, right? And that Latin is created by uh, something called Cadmus, right? Almost mythical, but actually it's because they actually let these people systematize their language. So that is the group Greco-Roman coming together, right? The second thing that happens is the gods and goddesses of Greece and Rome are almost similar, right? And they actually do that even with Egypt, right? Uh, because they conquer Egypt uh, maybe more than 2,000 years ago. Julius Caesar is already there. We're talking about Cleopatra and Julius Caesar. That's 2,000 years ago, right? And then slowly, they make uh, 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 the, the Egyptians say that, well, your gods are like our gods and all that kind of thing, right? Yeah, so uh, that's when they synthesize all these kinds of things, uh, different cultures or different gods and goddesses together, right? Yeah, and these are cultures which have uh, uh, come in with animism, that is nature worship, right? Whether you talk about the Greek culture, the Indian culture, the uh, uh, the Roman culture, the yeah. So all those, and uh, you have these other newer religions like Christianity and Islam, right? Judaism is old, 
right? But Christianity and Islam are new compared to Judaism, uh, the ancient Greek, the ancient European, all those kind of things. Uh, they're very old, right? Yeah. So uh, that's a different kind of culture that we are talking about, right? So uh, this is where our context of literature comes in, and this whole idea of the man-woman relationship, the idea of love poetry, right? One is the, the French troubadours sing uh, sing all these kinds of uh, songs, right? And that becomes important, right? The other is the church glorifies this idea of spiritual love, a love between a man and a woman, right? That's supposed to be really very sacred, which in spite of the church being decimated and probably the church being non-existent in Europe, the idea of commitment to a husband and commitment to a wife, right? Or commitment, now they don't even have marriage, but the idea of commitment between two people, right? That's why they're actually able to go through with this idea of what you call uh, livings, right? And of course in England it's accepted as a common law wife and a common law husband, right? You don't need, and of course uh, maybe if some people are interested, you can go into the argument of measure for measure, not measure for measure, uh, much ado about nothing, right? Shakespeare's much ado about nothing, right? And uh, you have all this kind of, uh, the church law, right? Which is talking about living in before your marriage and being committed and all those kind of things, which ties up to this idea of which Trevelyan is talking about over here, which is the idea of sacralizing the love between a man and a woman, right? So that becomes a kind of uh, a cultural trope for a long period of time, right? Yeah, so this is something that happens, right? Uh, perhaps because of the Greek or Roman culture, that's one, and uh, also because of the the church, right? So both these sides, uh, love becomes very important and the poets sing about love, right? And that's why the whole idea of the man-woman relationship gets to, uh, is a very important part of life and literature uh, as we come to know it, right? Yeah, and uh, well, you can look at other cultures and uh, this is a problem. You also have it with Laila Majnu, right? Yeah, which is very much like here and there, uh, Laila Majnu, Romeo and Juliet, right? These are things that keep happening in all cultures, right? Yeah. If you like, you can see a modern movie. It's called Baran, right? It's an Irani movie, right? Where you get two people who fall in love with each other, right? On a construction site. And we're talking about the migrant workers, right? So you might like to look at that, okay? And because we don't have the uh, literary society functioning, otherwise we could have put it up as a play, as a movie there, and uh, maybe you could uh, look at it, right, and discuss it, right? But, uh, so, uh, this is something important, right? So please read this uh, stuff, because I'm not going to read it for you, right? I think I've given you uh, enough of why it should be there, right? And uh, so you have at one level the idea of the, the rich people getting married, Right? and getting married for money and power and beating their daughters up and all that. And you have the poor people who don't have all these problems because they don't have any money. Right? Yeah? Like in India, uh, you have a lot of people who dead don't care about caste because they can't care about caste. They can't care about money. And they don't care about who you are or what you are. Right? And they just get married and live on. Right? Yeah? So that's something that you might like to think about. Right? I think I'm going to wind up over there. Because I think I've, uh, it's 12.39, it's almost 12.40, 
right? And my uh, my program is coming to an end because I'll have to shut off and I can't uh, record this, right? Otherwise, yeah. Thank you.